1: Welcome to the Longform Podcast. I'm Aaron Lammer, here with Max Linsky and Evan Ratliff, respectively from Longform and The Atavist. Hello. Max is getting wow. a phone call. Max, perfect. Well, feel free to take Well, that. the good thing about when Max's phone rings is you know he's got a ringtone that's going to sound great on air. <laughs> it's the ringtone of a uh, sensible adult. <laughs>
2: it's like, uh, what is it? A full-grown man. It's by, by the seaside.
1: <laughs> uh, thanks, Max. <laughs> Who's on the show this week?
2: Why don't you tell me?
1: On the show this week is Jace Clayton, who I have followed for many years as a musician, as well as a writer. He performs under the name DJ Rupture, but he's also written a bunch of pieces. I think the first few were for The Fader, where he explores different musical subcultures that are existing in weird pockets of the world that are often have never been written about before, or he doesn't even really know what's going on when he goes in. Um, You know, we're talking about auto-tuned Berber music or music that's traded across uh, cell phones in North Africa and only exists as uh, MP3s distributed by Bluetooth. Really the corners of music that's happening all over in real time.
2: I'm excited for this one. I only understood like three of the words you just said. I have auto-tuned Berber music, I understand. (laughs) That I know a little bit about. Well,
1: I know you're passionate about that. (laughs) Yeah. As always, we are sponsored by MailChimp. If I can't bi- believe you just missed the speaking of passionate segue. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, when it comes to passion, I let Evan own that part <laughs> of the show. <laughs> we are sponsored, as always, by MailChimp. If your business sends email, you should send it through MailChimp. It's really simple, and they will cover you from your humble beginnings to your glorious successes.
2: Here's something I'm passionate about. Aaron Lammer yeah. interviewing Jace Clayton. I can feel the passion. (laughs) The passion is thick. I have a cold. (laughs) Do you disinfect these bikes? At what point did you take on the name DJ Rapture? Oh, man, like, late 90s. Late 90s, So DJing, yeah. yeah. Like, I was like, okay, I'm, like, living in Boston. I was like, I need some name, and I kept playing with, like, names, and then I was like, okay, just pick this and stick with it. Yeah,
1: (laughs) yeah. And, and at that point... Like, do do your friends of yours call you DJ Rupture? Oh, no, no. no, Okay, okay. Okay. you've never gone, like, Uh whole hog with
2: it. Nope, nope. Although some people, yeah, maybe it's kind of more of, like, you know, the people you see, like, in the scene, like, at parties or whatever. Like, yo, Rupture, what's... So, yeah, there is that aspect of it. But no, friends, I'm just like, hi, I'm Jace. (laughs) Yeah,
1: well, I mean, I think it's an interesting... um, You occupy an interesting space because you make music, you Mm -hmm. play music, and you write about music. Yes. And... Uh, a name like DJ Rupture is totally normal for playing music uh-huh. and very strange for writing <laughs> about music. Um, so I'm curious, like, mm-hmm. which, which of those prongs came first?
2: Oh, I mean, I get making music came yeah. first. Yeah, making music. Like weird, you know, four-track cassette, kind of like noise, experimental kind of junk, you know, high school doodling music. Yeah. That was the first thing. Um Yeah. I guess, first of all, you're like first a listener, right? Yeah, absolutely. But I never studied music. I never really played an instrument. So it's more of just like tinkering around. And then in college, I picked up like, let's see what DJing is about. And so that's when it began. What first inspired you to write? Hmm.
1: Huh.
2: It's you don't almost, know. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's in a way, it was related to the same sort of musical curiosity that drives me. You know, as a DJ and stuff, it's just thinking like, well, I'm like getting access to these experiences and I'm seeing these things and thinking about these things, and my angle isn't existing in the world yet. You yeah. Know? And so it's like, okay, I want to. And obviously, you know, DJing and working with music is one way of sort of exploring things and putting ideas into the world. But I'm like, yeah, let's write this out. Let's you know, spread the gospel in another medium, as it were.
1: A lot of people have told me on this show that they originally got uh, involved with journalism. Basically, they're like, oh, mm. free trips. Oh. Like, <laughs> like uh, I want to go here. I'll trick someone into paying for it. Or I'll. T- uh, I'll and it creates a sort of a framework to live the kind of yes. life you want to live. And, it, yep. and it's in your book, which is out now, Uproot, mm-hmm. um, Which is, in many ways, a travelogue, Mm -hmm. or a series of travelogues. Mm -hmm. It seems like you were motivated by the same spirit, but what drew you to places was not necessarily the uh, touristic experience, Mm -hmm. but these unique pockets and islands uh, of music that exist in hyper-local, specific places that are accessible now through the internet, but outside of the internet would be totally inaccessible to an American. Mm -hmm. What was your first, like
2: field trip (laughs) my first field trip wow I mean starting with touring as a DJ like that was what first opened me up and just to like seeing what's happening you know and so yeah way back in I guess 2000 it was my first I was DJing in this band for kind of like an acid jazz band called Wax Poetic but Nora Jones was the lead singer we did this big tour of like Turkey and Europe and that was the first time I was just like out you know sort far from home in the world and seeing all these different ways in which music unfolds I guess the thing of like getting paid to travel, in order to write. Like when that first happened, it was when was it like two thousand and eight with the Fader. Yeah, and like they knew I'd been blogging about cumbia, sort of like this you know Latin music that I loved. And then they got in touch and they're like, hey, would you be interested in going to Buenos Aires you know, right. to talk about some of this stuff that you're already writing about and DJing and thinking about? And I was like, yes, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and that was kind of mind blowing, you know, because that's like me and a photographer and yeah. just a week, you know, just to speak with musicians and go to parties and right. experience what's, what's happening.
1: How do you represent your interest when you're going to look into cumbia or Moroccan music, who, who are mm-hmm. you in mm-hmm. that situation? Yeah,
2: it is baffling to many people. Uh, and it's 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 really funny. I remember once in Morocco, I'm just like asking all these very specific questions in a music store. And then yeah. the, the owner, he's like, he's like, oh, I'm happy that you're here from America asking me about this music. He's like, but I really wish it was like young Moroccans who were asking me about this music. Right. You know? <laughs> um, so he was kind of disappointed. I'm like, oh, thank you for sharing that with me. Um, and so it is like, and especially in order to get people to, like, open up and just understand, it's very important that I go and, like, this is who I am. I'm like, yeah, DJ, I've liked this music, and I even will, like, trace my little roots through it. Um, and so many of the times I'm there, I'll be like, yeah, I um, I'm like I like X, Y, and Z musicians. And people will be like, really? Well, how'd you get into that? And then it's this whole discussion. Um, but then once folks sort of realize that um, that the curiosity is legit and that there's, like, a sort of, sort of backlog of information that's kind of serious, um, then people are enormously forthcoming, as confusing as it might be. Yeah. It seems like a lot of your stories start with finding a piece of music
1: mm-hmm. um, that is, at least to an American audience, obscure, and then tracing the tree uh, upon which that music grows, mm-hmm. and then eventually going in person and trying to understand like the place where it's made. How, like, how do you, like, there's just so much uh-huh. online right now. Like, are you sifting through YouTube
2: all day? <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I'm actually, like, really, I'm not bad at looking for music online, but yeah. I, I don't like it, yeah. you know? And so it's, um. and of course, there's, like, a million things, and it's, you know, it's the, what, the digital cornucopia. But I think for me, it's my, my curiosity's peaked. It's always my ear, you know, and yeah. so in the background, it's always me as like a DJ. And so that's a, that's this I'm getting information from when I travel and go to places, so uh, from friends who give me direct recommendations. And every now and then, something will pop up first in the internet. But I'm really fortunate in that I do have this pretty wide network. But at this point, people know what I like as right. well. So I'll get all these kind of like people's like, you have to check out this XYZ. Um,
1: I found similar things. And then I, sometimes I find my own pathways as a listener get broken. Do you remember Oink? Of that course. torrent site? Yeah. <laughs> so the best music serendipity that I've ever mm. achieved in my life was finding something rare that I liked, and then finding who uploaded oh, okay. it and yes. finding out, because you would find these guys or girls who'd been sitting on mm-hmm. a trove mm-hmm. of a very specific pocket of music mm-hmm. waiting to en masse <laughs> upload it in that way. But it, it's also a fragile ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how do you exist within that environment? Like, is your piece on Cumbia from 2008 mm-hmm. and the Fader totally dated
2: now? <laughs> no, actually, it's a classic of the genre. <laughs> <laughs> Timeless. Um, no, that's it's funny. Is and that those sort of concerns were hugely present with with the book. You know, because yeah. even with the article, okay, I'm writing it now. It'll be published two or three months from now. Um, and with the book, it was this thinking of okay, the thing that makes a book special is that ten years from now, someone can open it up, twenty, thirty, who knows? It's yeah. it's an extremely different relationship with time. It's not about what's on now, and so I was. It was always present in my mind, I'm like, I need to say things that are going to be interesting um, kind of like regardless of the the calendar system, regardless of the media cycle, which was a challenge, of course. um, But then also like at the end, like a really great way to write, you know, so then you pull into like, okay, beautiful sentences and storytelling and these sort of wider observations of how what could seem like a sort of musical minutiae or something is actually speaking to just how we're thinking about culture and communication um, more widely.
1: Absolutely. I mean, a lot of the book to me is about how young people often without significant means mm-hmm. create music that is distinct and has never come before using yes. computers and then share it. And that is that is a yes. cycle that's repeating itself all yes. over the world. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, how did you think about the mm-hmm. larger story that mm-hmm. your book was telling? Mm-hmm. And was that something that you Were Clear On when you started, or was an evolution of taking all these trips?
2: Yeah, it was. Like, the very seed of the book was thinking about that, just realizing, okay, like, my DJ career started off with, like, heavy vinyl records in the late 90s and cassettes and CDs, and then it ended up where you can just tour with a USB thumb drive, and you're set. It's a watershed moment, you know, kind of going from analog to digital. And so I was thinking, okay, yeah, I wanna go in there and both kind of give a texture to, to the, all these times, like what made each moment special. Um but then, like you say, like think about all sorts of yeah, all these interesting commonalities between yeah ultimately it's like we you know what does it mean to be young and have some sound inside your head you yes. know or, or your scene that you want to broadcast to the world and and like who, that notion of the world is of course changing is like who you're broadcasting to is changing and all these different things the tool sets um, but it's a very that it's this kind of like fundamental joy of music making um, I was like okay let's let's find flashpoints where interesting things are happening and can be unpacked that shed different little spotlights on it but do fall into this wider view of, like, how do we articulate? Like, what's thrilling to be alive right now?
1: I think what's sort of exhilarating about reading your book is generally when we talk about the transition from analog to digital, Mm -hmm. it's skeptical and pessimistic. It's about what's lost. Like, we're better... About writing about things that used to exist that don't exist anymore <laughs> than we are about new things. And does that optimism and idealism come naturally to you, or is that so, do you fight with that same tug of war between the past
2: and, and the future? Yeah, it, I guess it does come naturally to me. It's funny because I hadn't thought of it as being like an optimistic book, but I've gotten that a lot. People yeah. are like, and of course, like I'm thinking about the ethics of it and trying yeah. to be critical. But ultimately, um, you know, as I like to say, I'm like today's the best day in music ever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like that's always the case, um, and and partly it's yeah it comes from you know the as a DJ I love I love being surprised I love being knocked off kilter I love finding something I'm like what's going on here it's exciting but I don't know why yeah. um, so that's really fantastic and so yeah there's not much I don't have like much of a nostalgia for yeah. the past um, it, it's it's very much I'm keyed into these moments of new creation. Um, and, as I see it, it's the you know the tools are becoming more and more widespread, yeah, and so that is that suddenly kind of like throws open the gates in this really exciting way. Well, part of why I think your idealism
1: it doesn't seem forced is you write very much from a global perspective. Mm-hmm. You spent many years living in Spain, and it's easy as an American to get very sort of locked into like how are musicians going to make a living mm-hmm. and ignore the story of millions of African musicians Mm. basically coming online and Mm -hmm. sharing music. Mm -hmm. You know, the working musician pool in America is dwarfed by the global musician pool that has never made any money and will never probably make any money. (laughs) Um, How did you deal with writing about people in very starkly different Mm. economic, cultural, social situations? Mm. I mean, it was certainly an undertone when I was reading it that a lot of this stuff is happening in the Islamic world Mm -hmm. where gender is like a huge, you have a, you have a scene in the book where you're trying to talk to these um, Moroccan women about their use of auto tune and, the sort of fixer-handler gets in trouble for basically trying to set up, like, a secret meeting with them. Um, <laughs> yes. h- how, do, how do you navigate
2: those cultural issues? Yeah, partly it's kind of like being at ease in those spaces, yeah. you know, which means, like, patience. It means a lot of listening. It means sort of, like, going in. It's not like, I have the story. I'm looking for, you know, yeah. the taxi driver, like, the musician, who can give me the quote I need. Um, and so it's more of, like, Going in and being open to all the things that you would never expect, you know, yeah. um, and letting the situation sort of unfold. And so that does have to do with trust, visiting places multiple times, like mm-hmm. I, I did with Morocco. Um, and, yeah, and I think it's like it's very vague, but there is something about this like vibe, you yeah. know. So it's, you go in and you're like, OK, I'm here. Like I'm trying to gain insight into like what the music makers find most exciting or most difficult mm-hmm. with what they're doing, you know, or all these things. Um It's having trust that the story, once you get to the heart of it, the story will be very interesting. Mm -hmm. Even if it's miles away from whatever, you know, I'll talk about Beyonce and things like that, you know, Fugazi here and there. But I'm like, I don't need the big marquee names, you know. I'm like, let's just let these strange and surprising kind of like uh, underground stories unfold. Um,
1: But when you finally get to the Moroccan engineer mm -hmm. and you say like, I got all these really interesting ideas about the history of islamic singing and melisma <laughs> yes. and he's kind of like i don't know we just put it on everything it's, hot. <laughs> you know? it's sort of as if, as if, as if, like you went to metro boom and we were like what why do you use these like trap sixteenths? and it's like i don't know yes. i use them on everything <laughs> how do you what was the challenge of writing about these sort of Fundamental assumptions that mm. maybe people aren't mm-hmm. able to verbalize why they use auto tune. Yeah. How, how did you get around that?
2: Yeah, that's it's a <laughs> it's I mean, it's so true because musicians, it's like they're most articulate in music. They're like, yeah. for the most part, they're really good. And then maybe when you ask them specific questions, it's a harder thing to, to put in the language. Um, and so, yeah, with the auto tune, like I sort of developed, you know, I developed my whole theory, my argument yeah. throughout that because. I very quickly reached the point where I'd ask people and as you say they'd be like I don't know we just do it everyone yeah. does it you yeah. know and the finger pointing and some people love it and some people hate it I'm like but no this is it's so interesting because it's um—it's in this entire scene of like yeah. otherwise conservative wedding music um, and it's so omnipresent and so that led me to think of I'm like oh, okay well talking to individuals won't give me a key but let's look at overall listening patterns and yes. that's sort of like I had this zoom out moment you know so these moments of Okay, let's have the, we're in the studio, taking the reader into the studio. But then I'm like, I'm going to think about this history of sound. Like, what's the soundscape here? Yeah. You know, how are people's ears responding differently? How does the software treat different styles of singing differently? Um, and so in a way, that was fun for me because I could sort of leap down from, you know, like the sort of journalistic, like, you're in the room with people. But then kind of think like, okay, let's... Uh, We're allowed to get, not abstract, but to think about things on a different scale. Yeah, And in a way, the connections I'm making. um, And I think, like, I'm thinking of the musician brain and the technical brain, the writer brain, and all those help me make some larger connective leaps. um, Yeah. And, yeah.
1: When you're writing about music uh, as a whole... how much does your personal experience as a, as a player of music come come into what you're doing?
2: Yeah, quite a lot, and it's very much in the way of like you know. Maybe I've spent a couple thousand hours in recording yeah. studios, either making music myself or watching music being made, um, and that's just that just sort of seeps into you. You yeah. know, it's hard to articulate. It's, you know, there's not one nugget of knowledge, but it's like oh, it's like seeing the like the nuances of communication yeah. and seeing the different ways in which the decision making process of like sometimes it's a very collective situation where it's almost like a party in the studio, and sometimes yeah. it'll be someone very focused. Um, watching people's different approaches to the technological tools, like how deep they're going to go into programming a sound, how much is more of like spontaneity. And so all like all that kind of filters through me and I get a sense of um, what that means is that you know, when I put on my journalist cap and go into studio, I'm thinking like, okay, how is this distinct from all these other situations I've seen? Like what makes this moment really truly special? You know, yeah. this is not my third studio session. It's like I've seen many, 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 right. many. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I
1: can imagine that. You're you've you're sort of <laughs> it's like a scientific control and experiment. Yes. <laughs> you've got you've got the baseline established. So, what do you look for when you're in the in the studio? Are you a are you a mm-hmm. pesky like why'd you turn the reverb up uh, there kind of person, or are you trying to vibe yourself into the background? Yeah,
2: I'm trying to vibe myself into the background. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think um, yeah, that's that's the easiest way to do it, you know. And like, first of all, it's like kind of wanna like blend in and not be over someone's shoulder because that can make people very I don't know. You can just sort of can ruin the mood in, yep. a, in a sense. Um, overly. But I actually feel like so much of and maybe this is the this is the, probably the musician of me speaking. So much of what happens in any studio situation is this kind of, okay, we're gonna crystallize this moment on tape, you know, on the hard drive. And so it's very much this kind of this sort of sum total of energies going on. And so it's the different ways in which personalities are interchanging. Um that's the magic of it. What can yeah. I say?
1: <laughs> so I would say you're generally against the way that international music is Mm. marketed, uh, the world music (laughs) market. And you have a pretty incredible chapter in the book at the, um, what is it called? Oh, Womix. Womix, the World Music
2: Expo Festival.
1: Which is basically like a packaging conference for, Mm -hmm. okay, we've got these two Aborigines and loincloths, like we're going to take them on the road. Um, And you describe a lot how the sort of the biography is the the driving force mm. in the world music mm-hmm. market. Yes. Like it's a market that's based around like um, sort of a nonprofit theater's blurb. Mm-hmm. And a lot of what you write about is the same kind of stuff that could appear in in a blurb like that. Like when yeah. you're writing about like Berber singing, I, mm-hmm. I'm like, oh man, I could just, I could see this at Carnegie Hall, like <laughs> Berber singers. But I do think your approach differs from that, and I'm curious about how you avoid being a Carnegie Hall blurber, and, and what are the sort of pitfalls? What are the pitfalls of, of, of biography and music and writing mm-hmm. about people's circumstances rather mm. than writing about the music itself?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think that somehow the pitfalls with biography, it's... What can you say? It's almost like it's you're like, this is the best representative of Berber wedding music. You know, yeah. and, and it's it tends you know, like this it's like the anointed person who's yeah. representative of this wider genre. Um and maybe and like there's maybe one person who can play like, you know, like Desert Blues, like Ali yeah. Torre, Maybe if you're really lucky, like there can be two people touring and yeah. anyone. And so it is it's almost like the person and and like the sort of whole genre they represent become superimposed. And so it's like it's okay if you just like that. So for me it's if you're really curious about a sound, you'll hear someone and you say, "This is amazing." Who else is making things similar to this? Who is? Who are they influenced by? You yeah. know, like what are their companion genres to the side? And that's what's really hard for the Carnegie presenters to do because they want the Yusu endures of the world. They want like the big name, the Cesar Vodias, uh, but they don't want to say, "Okay, this is the, the third person down the line who's still incredible and is doing these different twists on it." Um, so it does turns it a bit into like how much, um, information can the casual listening public take? Yeah. Um, and, and, and I do write about that because it's, there's very much, a uh, industry infrastructure set up where like, okay, you know, like European festivals, there's, world music festivals all over Europe and they just need to like tick the boxes and and it's like okay they need to be very performative on stage yes. you know it needs to have some sort of links to a, like a, a culturally legible tr- tradition uh, Costumery is encouraged Yeah costumery is encouraged um, and then to me there's just like a, a, sort of a widening gap between this sort of very it's wonderful, but it's it's very specific and things, you know, like the kids in Egypt, I'm like, who are hunched over laptops um, and rapping into auto-tune and you can't understand. No, it's like, it's so, all their lyrics are hyper-local. And then when it comes to performance, you know, it's just kind of like, this, it's like a bunch of guys gesturing frantically with microphones and that does not translate at all. And so for me, I'm like, by telling the greater story in a way, I think of, for people who are unfamiliar with that music, they can get a, a like a window into why it could be interesting that can hopefully help them listen to it with a different perspective, a little bit more interest, so it's not just some alien thing. They're like, oh, okay, this is this has this sort of strange context around it. Let's think about it differently. Um, and so it's almost like with a DJ set, you know, I think anyone should be able to come in and see a DJ set of mine and like, if they witness the arc of it, they can sort of get it or get into it and sort of understand what's going on and there're many entrances in you know I love playing pop music and yeah. mixing it up and that's that's one of the fun things and so I think the writing does afford something similar, meaning I'm like, okay, well, I can lay out a situation, whether it's a person or an overall argument or just thinking about money in the music industry that a lot of people can relate to. Um, And then maybe the specific turns and twists I go uh, will take them into hopefully into learning something new. But there's, you know, it's like a wide door to come in. Um, And that openness to DJing, it's like something I think, like all good, you know, all good sort of nonfiction writing is going to have. Like you can be writing, like you know, Joan Didion writing about anything is kind of going to blow your mind, right? Yeah. And it's, it's not, doesn't have to be something um, that's sort of in her specialty or, or up your own alley. Um, and and in a way, it goes back to both, you know writing good prose, it's a form of thinking, you know, and it's a form of like a sort of analytic analysis uh, and description applied to something. And in and of itself, that can be hopefully really fruitful and engaging for a reader. I used to go on your blog, hmm, let's say like 2008, (laughs)
1: 2009... (laughs) and i was very careful very methodical i would like uh-huh. down you know i download, download the good. mp3s very and good. i had my little like uh, mud up folder <laughs> yes. there and it was i don't know what i was planning for i was like there was a, mm-hmm. a, a there was a such a limited amount of things like it that mm-hmm. i thought i could keep a folder for each one um which and that yep. laptop is gone those ah. mp3s are gone everything's gone more than 8 years yeah. in yeah how have the stakes changed? I mean, you couldn't have you couldn't have mm-hmm. written a book mm-hmm. about this evolution in two thousand and eight. It mm-hmm. would have it would have been too nascent. It would have been Yeah, it's really uh, true. And many of the stories in the book are from across this whole period, but we're at a, a very different point now. How have how have mm-hmm. the stakes of what you're doing changed in, in those eight years?
2: Yeah, it's crazy because you know, the sort of the that particular blog world is is dead. I know all the links <laughs> no, are dead. all the links are dead. The <laughs> songs are downloaded. No one's really doing it anymore. You know, it's, it's like interesting attrition from Facebook and Twitter and all these people who. And also, it's, maybe it's like a a life thing. Like back, yeah, ten years ago, I had I could just like hang out and blog for free for a couple yeah. hours. You know, a few times a week. Um, you interestingly, you hear the exact same
1: thing from early bloggers. Mm-hmm. You know, the first blog yeah. spot generation. Yes. They can't explain what happened to it, but it's gone and and nothing. Yeah. The young people didn't decide to become them.
2: Yeah. When I go back and look at it, i was like, well, read the comments. I was like, oh, there's this whole community around it and your voices repeat and there's shared information Um, and a lot of, you know... Just really great like mutual acknowledgement and footnotes and hyperlinking. And that's like it was a beautiful moment in, you know, in the shape of the Internet, you know, and how the links were working and how the blogging platforms were working and just the initial excitement to share in the sea of music. Um, And so many things, you know, streaming suddenly made the downloads perhaps less relevant, but then bloggers being picked off to do slightly better from like zero to like $25 for, you know, blog yeah. post and, yeah. and these things, but that's maybe enough. Um, but I do feel, I do feel deeply sad about it because 10 years ago, if you want to read about some music, you know, there'd be a lot of really quality writing on just blogs for free. Yeah. And then nowadays, maybe it's still quality writing, but it's really bent around sort of, you know, SEO-optimized headlines, and you're like, okay, we need to write about Kanye because Kanye will bring hits. You know, exactly. this idea that sort of fan interest is driving editorial on most of the music sites. And so for me as a writer, um, and especially working in a book, but even also doing magazine pieces, I'm like, okay, very consciously being like, okay, we're not going to just fall into drop the big names and just do the sort of fluff piece. Um, yeah. Like, you don't like you don't need to write a Beyonce think piece. Right. Um, and it's strange that as the overall base
1: mm-hmm. is getting wider and wider, mm-hmm. the per word focus is increasingly focused at the very top of the pyramid. Yes, yeah. It's not something you would have predicted. I mean, mm-hmm. I-, I would have mm-hmm. predicted that. As more and more music made online, everything would be more and more fractured into niches, and then we would not yep. necessarily have the same kind of stars. But
2: stars are bigger today than they were 10 years ago, I think. Yeah, yeah right? it really feels like it. Yeah, and so much yeah. of the attention draws to it. And people are somehow m- more reluctant to create their own little platform, yeah. you know, to have the blog. It's a very tricky and different environment. You know, ten years ago, it felt much more sort of personal. You know, yeah. with a blog, you'd sort of get the you get the spirit of the place, and you're like, okay, these are more or less like-minded people or something. Whereas now, there is this idea of, and especially 2016, it's like all like online hostility yeah. and this idea that sort of you know the kind of bubbles of internet safe spaces. Those are you know like with trolling and all these things. Um, so it's it, strangely enough, it's a very weird moment for for sort of like online speech. You're making music playing it for crowds of people around
1: the world mm-hmm. and writing about it. Mm-hmm. So all of these changes, um, as a writer, as that stuff mm-hmm. changed mm-hmm. and those blogs sort of disappeared from from the internet, oh, that whole style actually disappeared mm-hmm. from the internet. Yes. Do you see similar evolutions when you're out playing music or are they on
2: totally different clocks? Hmm. Yeah, they're kind of on different clocks. That's an interesting thing. Um, and actually, one of the things I found most fascinating about being, you know, being in the music game for 15 years is I just see sort of like, like right now there's a lot of interest in what I do in like Germany and like German, German, like German speaking Europe for some reason, like that's in Italy, you know, so like I've been, and that's, and that's just the thing. And I haven't been to England in six years. And so it's like this very strange, you see like these moments of flare ups. um, And then I get this, this interesting view on sort of, on just the media in a way, like interest cycles, booking interest cycles, sort of so like how does a DJ or musician's personal narrative fit with what's kind of de jour? Um, yeah. So with with music, whereas with writing, um, even a bit more pessimistic with music, I kind of, I have a very much like, I'm just kind of, I'm, it's funny because I'm fascinated by how the industry works and like what interest happens when both my own career and other people's careers. But I've yeah. also seen it so long. That I'm like, oh yeah, you know, like, like, bookings will go down in one area, but then something else will emerge in a different place. And as a musician, so much of one's life is just kind of um, improvisation, like a hand-to-mouth kind of yeah. moment. And and the tension is between doing what you want to do to the best of your ability and, like, what are people being excited by at any given moment, you know? And the, an example of that is I do this... Performance piece for called Julius Eastman Memorial Dinner. I think I debuted it three years ago, you know, and and at the time, very few people knew who Julius Eastman was. You know, this uh, sort of forgotten, overlooked New York City composer. But then this year, he had a big re-release. You know, he's been dead for a while, but he had a big re like a Scandinavian label found an archival recording of his, which is very traditionally beautiful and not abrasive, and it doesn't have crazy titles like much of his other work did. And so he had this huge press moment. So now three. Years later, I'm getting all this renewed interest in the Julius Eastman Memorial Dinner, which is fantastic for me. Um, but that's kind of the way it works with a musician, and so it's I'm like, okay, I did that piece then because I loved it so much, and it had to happen for me. You know, and we toured around; it was great. Put out an album, um, but then three years later, I'm like, oh, um, me and my musicians will earn more from this project in 2017 than we did four years ago, or something like that. So, in a way, all the changes—it's just kind of like, oh, the playing field changes, but those are just parameters that you fold back into your process of creation.
1: You write about making money in the book, which I, which is great because I like to ask people about making money. But it's awkward
2: to ask people about making money if they haven't already brought it up themselves. So how does it all work? It is a little bit of everything. You know, yeah. I mean, s- probably still DJing is probably my primary source of income. Maybe that's changing a little bit. Um, yeah. And and i guess the way it's almost it's not like one any one activity will subsidize the other but it's the sort of situation where i'm saying like okay you know like i put out this book and then they keep it up like a lot of like editors got in touch you know and saying hey you want to do this you want to do that and um and so i'm like oh i can really it has always been important for me to be able to pick and choose what i'm going to write about um and knowing that there is like oh like i can earn some money um, from DJing doing these other projects, that will enable me... Like, I don't need to hustle as much in the writing world, right. um, which would sort of dilute the quality of the work. Because if that passion's not there, then I won't do it. And at the same time, you know, if I'm getting, like, the sort of, like, random DJ offers or things which just aren't interesting, usually there's something else. Like, oh, like, maybe there's a few speaking situations where I can get a few fees to do things. So it's a very... Um, it's a kind of, uh, it's like slapdash ballet. (laughs) That's how I exist economically. Um, And it's, and part of it is also making the, it's, I mean, it's a very conscious, at this point, it's a conscious decision because it's been beaten into me. I'm like, this is, this is who I am. I'm like this weird artist figure who's kind of, who's interdisciplinary in like a very real way. Meaning it's like, there's a kind of a scrabble um, and coming to terms with that and just thinking, okay, I'm like, I'm playing the long game, you can say, you know? And so it's never, for me, and that's actually even links back to this idea of like selling out, you know, yeah. and it's like, oh, it's like a you know whatever I say wretched energy drink offers you some money to do something that you don't feel quite right about, but it's a lot, and like maybe it's useful, but then maybe that isn't so good, and I'll often you know sort of advise younger musicians to to really think about how they're being metabolized by the press. Because of the speed of the media cycles, people can often be like, oh, what you're doing now, like, ticks off all the buttons, so you'll get a lot of press very quickly um, and a lot of offers, and suddenly you're doing this and you're that, and it's and it's wonderful and it's great. But if sometimes those narratives can burn out really, really quickly, and so it's always, like... To sort of be like, no, no, you have some control over about how much exposure you get. You know, and everyone wants exposure. So that first, once you reach that first level, it's really great and exciting. But then once you're there, then I'm like, then that's part of your art too. You know, like how you reach the people, how, how slowly or quickly. Um, and because that's like being able to continue doing musical creation and musical damage. Like that's what we all want, you know, yeah. and like that's the sort of the longer goal. Um, how
1: has that affected your work to be thinking long term?
2: Yeah, it it's in a way it reinforces it kind of reinforces this go with the gut, you know, it's like yeah, part of being an artist is existing a few years ahead of people or like you're sort of attuned to these more subtle trends which might not become obvious. Um so in a way it's like Jace like don't like don't hold back, you know, yeah. don't do anything for um because it might be obviously popular or... And it's, it's I don't know, it sounds, maybe it sounds a bit odd, but um, in a way it encourages this weird idealism with me. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and absolutely, at the same time, you know, it's especially like DJing is a great example for this. You're like, okay, this is the song of the month or something. So like throw this in a mix, mix it with an interesting record, the party will, will you'll take the energy up into a party and then you can do something with that energy. Yeah. So there's these definitely like in, being in the moment is so crucial um, to, to, to life as a musician. But then yeah I think to me the long game is about like cultivating not necessarily like a certain trust with with fans and other other supporters in the industry or something like oh yeah no matter I would like to think that people would be like oh no matter what I'm up to like it's probably going to be interesting so they yeah. can go check it out whether it's a DJ party or some this weird messed up piano music yeah um or whatever it is and so and I think that that's kind of long term trust it comes into people realizing that um even though what I might be off on some weird new thing that they're totally unfamiliar with, yeah. they, they'll, they'll trust the, the sort of like the rigor and the joy behind that inquiry. We trust the controller. Here. <laughs> yes. Yeah.
1: Do people stick with you? Do you have the same built-in audience as you move from blog to fader to a book?
2: Yeah, I, I do to some it, extent. And it's, it's really interesting. Like people, everywhere I go, people come up and be like, I miss the radio show like yeah. somehow the radio show maybe like the fact that it was weekly uh i have some theories about that i think
1: if i think the human voice mm. is hardwired into Yes. I, yes. we we ran long form for years no one ever talked to me about it, it i m- i might have all not have the minute we started doing this podcast i would meet people and they'd be like i feel like i know you yeah, like
2: that layer of connection and mm. you t-
1: you 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 talked i mean the radio oh, yeah. show wasn't just DJing. Yeah, it was
2: exactly. you it yeah. was like a uh, you're yeah, person. I was a host yeah. and playing songs. Why'd you stop? Guest. Because I wasn't getting paid. <laughs> it was about 10, 12, 15 hour, hours a week of yeah. really fantastic, amazing work. But at the end, I'm like, aye, aye, aye. And, yeah. and also part of it was thinking, hmm, podcast <laughs> yeah. like what are other manifestations and right. That's still in the back of my mind so. interesting
1: yeah yeah did those shows get arc I mean are those shows shows all online somewhere
2: they are yeah actually FMU has a really great app and I think you can just go and that's probably the best interface for it uh, but okay. yeah
1: um, so what's interesting you right now like I'm interested in like a uh, snapshot <coughs> of like what what your mind is like on a given day not spread over yeah. years yeah. What, what's
2: what's happening um what's happening man lots is happening um oh I don't know what, it's like because I'm working a bunch of projects which yeah. are sort of like top secret, see- top secret. so you, I'm like, there's see- like a top secret project that I can't yep. talk about and like a, another top secret project um, which I can't talk about but it's going to be great Um, yeah. so I'm what can I say it's a a new composition performance um, for voices in New York City and I guess which will happen this spring yeah and I guess that's probably all I should say about it now it'll be a nice okay, surprise I'll, I'll take it in the abstract instead yeah. of in the specific yeah so
1: as an Untrained musician. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming you're dealing with top-notch talent, people yeah. who did get a musical education <laughs> to sing in it. Like, mm. like, what is it like coming into a situation where you're kind of, you're like, I'm an amateur, but I'm intentionally amateur. Part of my r- art is literally that I don't know everything you know.
2: Yes, I kind of love it, and it's definitely um, what is it? it? sort of foregrounds the different languages we use to communicate music with each other and communicate musical commands, and it and it. Calls into play all the various questions of like authority and training and and yeah. all of that, which, yeah, it's like, you know, it's the destabilizing, which I think is really great. In a way, it gives me a uh, freedom to think about it and to bend it into new shapes and to put it into new uses and to think about providing a context for this music. And so much of which is really key to me. I'm not trying to write um, this perfect example of like new music, choral, whatever. Right. Uh, I'm not trying to be. Um,
1: and you're not competitive <laughs> with the six people in the choral PhD yes. program at yeah. Mills College who are all trying to make the one <laughs> breakout
2: choral. Exactly, choral yes. Grab. You know, it's like Carolyn Shaw did that. She's amazing. Like, shout yeah. out to her. Um, but. But so, yeah, but then for me, I'm like, okay, this, I, I am thinking of like, what's the social scenario for this music? Why does this new composition exist? Like, how is it going to sort of function to people who don't necessarily care about this music? So I'm able to ask all these other questions. And I think those levels of investigation and trying to unpack things, like when yeah. I start communicating with singers, I'm like, these are the ideas I have in mind. think yeah. um, I think, so far so good, but that's that's also really engaging, because people are like, okay, there's a there's a different kind of momentum there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it means I'm working with uh, a friend um, to even just like figure out the score. You know, like yeah. I'm using elect- like Ableton Live to kind of like write this piece, you know, just like drawing little note, meaty notes and boxes. Um, and then it's translating that to then scores that musicians can read, and then making that into a score that they can really. Um, and it's a real process, um, and it becomes more collaborative because I'm like, okay, here are my limitations. So the team widens, and I have this yeah. idea, and it's very much my decisions. But um, it's yeah. I'm curious, what your
1: own, what's your media diet like? Oh, um, yeah, like what, like what, do, where, do, where, what are your
2: plugins um, <laughs> for the music world nowadays? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a that is a tricky one. I don't read that much music writing, to be yeah. honest, um, and I because I find it largely unsatisfying. Yeah. And there's some people who are great writers, but then maybe I don't agree with their musical tastes. Um, Twitter is the main social network I'm kind of on that give, that has like a, a link environment built yeah. into it. Um, so it's kind of scanning for that, and every now and then, you know, like they're obviously amazing like individual voices, and so like checking for them. But uh, for the most part, I'm just like a novel. I just read novels. I read books. But yeah. I'm kind of on this slow, slow media diet. Um it sounds healthy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think so. Um but also it's you know, again the so much of the music that interests me it's almost like it is in this sort of the sort of cutting edge and a lot yeah. of it's like DJ DJ world stuff it's like no one's writing about these techno records right. as well no one's writing about this house or this crazy egyptian music etc um so i guess like when i'm searching online it's more for just like where yeah who knows where the pockets of heat but then less yeah. like what's the discourse around it because in a way it's it's that's not where the internet's not where that's happening right now
1: I mean do you think you're going to be the canonical resource on a lot of this music (laughs) I haven't haven't been reading about you know DJ Figo or whatever in Egypt it's like has anyone else ever written about DJ Figo?
2: Let's see. It's funny. Um, there's like a, a hilarious, an Egyptian wrote an article, but it kind of plagiarized mine. I'm like, I'm like, all this information <laughs> totally came from it. You know, and the same thing with this Cumbia article for, for, yeah. and I was like, wow. So in many of these instances, because of my access as a DJ, I'm able to be, I'm like the sort of first person there who's asking questions and then yeah. writing about it. for First and last. In first first many of these and last, cases. yeah.
1: Even Cumbia, which mm-hmm. was a... A trend, you know. There mm-hmm. was a, a New York cumbia moment. Yep. Uh, there was some cumbia parties. Yep. I wouldn't be surprised if you're in the top ten hits for cum, yeah. Like, yeah. cumbia and journalism or something I, like I that. Bet. And, and yeah, it's just it's it's a thin, mm-hmm. considering how rich and textured these things are. Mm-hmm. It's kind of incredible that if you hadn't written some of these pieces, some of these styles might have never had yeah. a what I you know a Western long format, which. Who fucking cares, ultimately? Yeah, yes. But like, people like me, the people like me of the future, thank you. Yes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, there's this amazing moment in um, I was watching the Tribal Monterrey, these guys from northern Mexico. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, this thing, like a friend and I went to like the rave where they are playing where it's kind of like a teen rave with the first adults there. I'm like, yeah. this is insane. I need to come back and write about it. I was in town in Monterrey to DJ. But then that the article I wrote was the first attention of any sort, English or Spanish that they'd received. Um and then one thing led to another, they got this major label deal, then like it mm-hmm. post billboards in LA. And at some point I was just watching a clip of them on like the kind of Mexican almost like the like a just a daily like routine show. And you know, and then and then like one of the kids gives me a shout out, you know, it's one of the first people. I'm like, this is so nuts. Um and so it's like a very direct line between yeah. this moment of like, okay, let's spend time in this weird teen scene, try and think about why it's interesting, try to explain it. And then they were able to run with it and turn it into careers. Um, And this was three kids, and their lives were kind of... And it wasn't just me. It was a handful of other factors, but just thinking that awareness um, was kind of, it was kind of amazing. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, well, being name checked on <laughs> like the sort of goofy TV show. Like, that's awesome. <laughs> I
1: think Michael Lewis has written about as he got more and more in the sort of post-Moneyball era that mm. it's harder for him to write stories because the fact that he is writing a story about something yes. will deeply manipulate it now. Yeah. He almost oh, needs to be funny. undercover about what he's writing about because if it was known that he was writing about some Wall mm-hmm. Street mm-hmm. thinker, that would... Cause people to like move <laughs> millions of dollars around the stock market. You yeah, know?
2: oh, that's great. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's like I've always had that awareness. So I'm like, okay, this hasn't this hasn't really hit the internet yet, as it were. So it's almost like it just makes me double down extra hard on. I'm kind of like getting the story right, you know, and yeah. and really trying to be like, okay my, you know, I'm like, I'm in the center of the media network here, the media empire. So the things I say about this person can have lasting implications. And so it's so important to really, um, to not exoticize, to not just be like, this is some crazy music from a faraway place. Um, so that, um, like, it's, so it's putting, you know, putting myself in their shoes, thinking about what it's like to myself and have all been written or miswritten yeah. about in the press. Um, and really putting that through the ringer, like, and even for the very basic level, like making yeah. sure all the facts are really, really right. Because yeah. knowing that these articles have become touchstones um, and people just use them for their research and maybe that's all they do. and They're not able to travel there. Um, what's it like for you to have your own story biography like, where, are you from boston or you were just yeah. there when you started playing music yeah yeah i kind of grew up in Mass- yeah, massachusetts like um,
1: when when people you know re- i just read about mm-hmm. you online like yes. wh- what is it like to, to be that kind of a, a person um, in music <laughs> you know music has music yeah. writing tends to exoticize mm-hmm. or at least try to lodge
2: some hook of interest yes. in a, a future listener yeah it's really funny because some sometimes like even reviews it's but yeah I'm like oh that's almost like they've gotten language they've like rewritten sentences from the book which yeah. is kind of great you yeah. know but also sort of funny um, and it's I I take it all with a grain of salt like I'm really you know obviously happy to get any sort of press but yeah, yeah. people love to be like he went to Harvard and he's a DJ and he's black <laughs> like yeah. this is crazy and it's like <laughs> okay you know yeah. it's like and um so did you
1: were you as you started to get make music, were you aware of your own kind of like, oh, I'm a, a black man who went to Harvard <laughs> like this is probably going to pop
2: up somewhere kind of uh, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. You know, and it's funny, my friend uh, Kid 606, you know, ran this label Tiger Beat Six. Like we did a lot of early stuff together. Yeah. A few years ago, we were just talking. He's like, yeah, he's like, you would have made more money and gotten more famous if you were like more black. You know, <laughs> and just meaning like there's like a, ser- a series of very conscious decisions yeah. I made along the way to sort of, you know, you can sort of either go with the image that the media would like to kind of create around you um, or choose your own path. Um, and then that's what all, all sort of artist, artists need to negotiate on some level. But do you feel like you've been accurately
1: portrayed by third party music writers when people write about your music? Hmm.
2: I, I would love to be actually I would love to be more surprised by what people had to say about me. Mm. Y- you know? Um and even like a couple of like magazine covers and all of this. I'm like, oh, like someone's gonna like put some like crazy idea into to yeah. the world or like theorize about my music or like extrapolate it. And but a lot of it tends to be descriptive. Um, which of course is like I can't complain, that's really cool. Uh, but somehow maybe it's because my own like my own head is wired to be like okay you describe the music and then you think about like what it's doing in the world and how and what are the repercussions and that seems so vital And, uh, and maybe that's rare overall music journalism um But yeah, I mean, I feel I feel fine with the the portrayal. And it's kind of it's also kind of funny because I do do a lot of different things. And so it's often to be like, oh, this is what this author chooses to focus on in any given moment. I'm like, that's fair. It's kind of like when you have a maximalist approach, people can't, you know, people just choose something to latch on to.
1: Well, thank you for coming in for a very open conversation. Yes. Thank you, Aaron. And that was the Long Form Podcast. Thank you very much to Jace Clayton for coming in. Thanks to my co-hosts, Max Linsky and Evan Ratliff. The editor of this show was Mickey Capper, our intern, Courtney Harrell. We're brought to you, as always, by MailChimp. We'll be back next week.
2: Yay.
0: Why do you run?